The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information and additional resources, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. So any study I do, very, it's very difficult for that study to really affect my soul because I'm thinking, how do I say this? How do I communicate this when I teach this on Sunday? So it was really hard for me to really let God change my heart because I constantly had to be pouring out all the time. Well, this year and a half in Omaha, I didn't have to preach at all. And I just got poured into it, and I got shepherded myself, and it was a great season for us. I developed deep friendships, and I learned how the gospel can really shape and affect a person's entire life. And I'm not going to be overdramatic when I say that our time in Omaha changed our lives. It was probably about eight months or so into our time. I remember when the pastor said, all right, we want you to preach. I'd been there about eight months. I said, no, I'm loving this. They're like, no, you're preaching. This is a church planning residency. Get up and preach. I'm like, dang. All right. Remember, this, there was this turning point about eight months into our residency where the first eight months was really personal. It was all about my heart change, my wife's heart change, and, and what God was wanting to do in our soul. And then after about the eight-month period where God had really done this work, now he kind of wanted, he started moving us towards, okay, how are you going to take this home to Sacred City? I didn't just call you out here to refresh you. I called you out here to, to, to refresh you and send you back to the Quad Cities to plant a gospel-centered missional church. See, God had been working in the first eight months on my false identities and my idols that I had served for a long time. And then over the next year, God started showing me how he wanted me to bring this gospel home to the Quad Cities. And, and when I was there, I started getting really bothered. I'm researching how to plant a church, and the majority of the people who I'm, I'm researching outside of the Acts 29 network this is the underlying thing that would tick me off. I'm reading it, and I, all their strategies. It was basically like a, um, uh, a manual on how to plant a church. They would just pretty much, like a franchise manual. You want to know how to plant a church? Here. And they would just give you all these step-by-step-by-step guides. And I said, this, something is wrong with this. If a guy, if you give a guy $100,000 and he can go plant a successful church just because he has money and he can hire smiley greeters and he can hire a rocking out band and he can hire a, a, a guy who can preach and that's a church, something's wrong here. You can do all those things with money. You don't need the Spirit of God. You don't need God moving to do all those things. If church is just about gaining a crowd and getting people on Sunday morning, you can do all those things with a budget. You don't even need the Spirit of God. I started getting deeply bothered by this. And then I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? So how do we not plant a franchise? How do we plant a missional, gospel-centered church like we see in the Bible? So and during this time, I, I just spent a lot, of, a lot of time in my scripture. I spent a lot of time in the scripture that we're going to read this morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. We've, I preached on this a few weeks back. But this is foundational to who we are at Sacred City. This is foundational for the type of church that we planted here and why we do what we do and how we do what we do. <clears throat> when you're there, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Okay? So, just to give us a little bit of context, what happens is Jesus Christ lives, dies, he's resurrected. He goes to the right hand of the Father. He sends the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And Peter, 
Okay, the Apostle Peter gets up after being filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches this sermon and this is how he ends it. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Paul gets up, he preaches the first gospel sermon. He says, Jesus, you saw him in the flesh, you killed him, it was your fault, his blood's on your hand, he's Lord and Savior. Believe in him, repent, and be baptized. Hardcore sermon, right? He's preaching the gospel. And this text shows us what happens when the gospel is proclaimed, when the true gospel, and, and when I say gospel, I don't mean the whole Bible. Okay? In the Bible, there's law and there's gospel. If you proclaim, and there's a reason for it. The law is a mirror. Every time the Bible tells you to do something, that's law. Every time it tells you to do something. That is an imperative. It's telling you, go do this. That's law. Well, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is like a mirror. You look in it, and you see how ugly you are. <laughs> Let's be honest. You look in the mirror, and you go, I don't do that. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, even at Christmas time? Right? My neighbor got a new, you know, new car, new whatever. You look into the law, it tells you you're dirty. It shows you your, mis- your, your mistakes. It shows you your failures. Listen to me. That is the main purpose of the law. To show you your mess. Does the law now listen, does a mirror, does a mirror clean your face? Absolutely not. Does a mirror help you look better? No, makeup does that, thank God, right? You look in the mirror, all it does is show you what's there. That's all the law does. Every time the Bible says, do this, it's meant to show you, you are not good at that. You are a sinner, you are broken. The law cannot fix you. The law cannot help you in any way clean your face up. That takes gospel. Gospel changes you. Gospel cleans you. Gospel purifies you. Gospel reaches into your heart and and changes who you are. All the law can do is put a standard up here and show you how you fall short. Okay? That's all the law can do. So, Peter preaches the gospel. Jesus lived the life that you can't live. You should live it, but you can't. He shows, puts a mirror up. They're cut to the heart. What does he say to do? Stop it. No. He says, repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's the gospel. Somebody else's obedience can count for you if you put your faith in his, in his, in his work. So, stop right here. What we're, what we're about to see, when the gospel is planted when the gospel is proclaimed and then planted in a community and people believe it, fruit happens. People are changed. Lives get changed and tore up and renewed and, and, and fruit is produced and, and literally things change. So I'm going to tell you, 
what God started showing me when I was in Omaha is church planting isn't about getting a great band and preaching and, and getting systems and organization and a budget and doing all. Church planting, it's about proclaiming the gospel. It's about planting the gospel in the seed of a culture, then trusting the sovereignty of God to bring about a thriving church. If you plant the gospel, God will take care of the rest. Preach the gospel, God will take care of the rest. And that's what we seek to do at Sacred City. The gospel does the work. And, and listen, you might think, well, eh, I don't really, what do you mean by that? Sometimes, because I love you, and I'm going to be honest, I don't say that enough around here. I love you. I love this church. I love the people in this church, and I love this city. And I want to see God shape this city, man, and change this city. But there's sometimes, when I, because I love you, I have to say hard things. I have to do things that you don't want me to do, but I have to do them because I love you. Right? Just like my kids. I do things that they hate. They don't want me to do them, but I have to because I love them. Right? My son, my, all my kids, they've been ruining our lives for like three months. What do I mean by that? Every night, one of them comes into our room. Every night. And at first, my wife and I, we were hardcore. Get out of our room. You're not coming in our room. This is mom and dad's room. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, it's like 2 in the morning, and I'm, I don't even care anymore. I'm so tired. <laughs> lay down. Just lay down and just make a pallet. And now I've got all three of them lined up in my room every single night. Zoe's got the worst gas you've ever heard in the middle of the night. I'm always like waking up like, what the? People are yelling at each other, fighting, zombies, all kind of stuff going on in the middle of the night in my room. It's awful. So what I, I've, I've instituted a new law. There is no coming to mommy and daddy's room. If you come into mommy and daddy's room at night, and my son gets it. He, 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 see, my son, he walks like a ninja, right? You, you think I'm joking, but there's been times where I wake up, and he's right here in my face. Freaky. My, Zoe, she just, so she could never sneak in the room if she wanted to, but Jab walks like a ninja. So he's, he's thinking, his mind, I'll just sneak in. He won't even know. I'll just lay down. I'll wake, I said, even if I don't even wake up and I see you on my floor in the morning, you are getting disciplined, right? Like, my kids are not happy about this. They hate it, but I'm doing this for their good, right? If they can't sleep outside of my room, it's going to go bad for them when they get married, Right? <laughs> It's going to go really bad on the honeymoon. <laughs> Can I come to your room? Right? That's going to be awkward. So I'm doing these things because I love them, but they're really hard things, and it's the same thing for you. Now listen, I know how to plant a big church. I know how to get more people to this gathering, but I'd have to do things that I'm unwilling to do because I love you. I'd have to soften my message, shorten my message a lot. I ain't going to do that. Right? Preach 35 minutes, tell them how to live a good life, make them real happy, send them out really encouraged, have really smiley, attractive people at the front door, wearing all the same colored shirts, shaking them, so blessed you're here, brother, God bless you. Bring them on in, make them feel really good. Maybe have some, you know, maybe have a little barista in the back. Would you like a latte? Right? Like, I could do all these things. This is what the church and our society in the Western world is saying to do to bring people in. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about wrath. 
Don't sing these old songs that people have been singing for hundreds of years. Don't sing those. Those are downers. Sing something I can clap to. Right? These are marketing ploys. It's marketing. Put a big banner up on the side that could say, nine weeks till you have the perfect wife. Nine weeks for the perfect marriage. Nine weeks for the perfect kids. Nine weeks and you're out of debt. Nine weeks for the abundant life. Mark it to people and they'll gobble it up. And they'll fill your, they'll fill your room. And that's true. Listen, that's true. That really would happen. People really would come out, and they really would fill our gathering. But that's not making disciples. That's not shaping souls. That's not changing people. It's not pointing to Jesus. It's not about the glory of God. So it's, we do things. We have liturgy for a reason. Part of it's just to make you feel awkward. All right? What? We confess. So many people that don't come from like a Catholic background, like, they're, we're public publicly confessing our sins every week this is so weird yes it is and we need to do it every week because here's the truth of the gospel when you believe jesus you didn't stop becoming a sinner you're still a sinner i'm the pastor and i feel my affections cooled during the two weeks of of, of christmas vacation because it's just all about us and it's all about family it's all about food I need to con- publicly confess my sin, that, that I've broken my covenant with God and my heart isn't warm, my heart isn't pulled towards Him, that I'd rather play with my new toys or do my new things I got for Christmas. Right? And, and I grew up in a church where the sinners, right, the people who were the sinners, the preacher would get up and preach to the sinners and he would tell them, come down front, we'll pray for you. And then the, the ones who were, quote unquote, really bad, maybe they got drunk that week or maybe they said a cuss word or Maybe they, I don't even know, maybe they slept outside of mar- slept with somebody outside of marriage. They would come down, they'd be weeping, and all the good moral people would be in the back going, mm, so glad we call sinners to repentance at this church. We're not one of them liberal churches, you know. We really call people to the carpet and point out sin. Aren't you glad, honey? I'm so glad too. So glad our kids are growing up in a, in a, in a church focused on grace. Aren't you, honey? Me too. But what you're communicating in this church is there are some people who repent and some people who are beyond it. Some people, we, I don't repent anymore because I'm a Christian now. God looks at me and goes, I'm really impressed. You read through the Bible this year. boy, Man, don't lower yourself by doing that repentance stuff. It's only for people that go out and drink alcohol. That is the message that's been communicated in so many churches. And then eventually you learn. People come, they get baptized, they learn. Oh, I'm having a bad week, but I can't go down front because people would think I'm a sinner. So I said, all right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take them all off. We're going to let them all know, every single person in this world, here's the one thing I know about you. You ran from God this week. I know it. You sought your comfort and things outside of the gospel. You sought your peace. You sought your prosperity. You sought your satisfaction in something other than Jesus Christ this week. You did it. And guess what? That's sin. You've broken your covenant with God. You deserve judgment and damnation for that sin. But guess what? God in the gospel gives grace to those who repent. He gives grace to those who admit their weakness, admit their failure. God is so good. So we repent every single week. It's one of the things we do. That wasn't in my notes, but boy, it was fun. (laughs) 
what Paul does. That's what Peter does. Peter, in this, he preaches the gospel. Not some soft little silly message about how to have your best life now or how to be really successful, how to feel really good about yourself. He preaches the gospel. You, Jesus, he was perfect. You killed him. You deserve to die. He died for you. Repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from the way that you're living. Turn from all your idols and all your ways to find your own righteousness. Turn from that and turn to Jesus by faith. That's what Paul, Peter says. Oh, Peter says. And what happens? See, Peter preaches the gospel. He tells them that they're sinners, that they're worse than they want to believe. But Jesus is better than they can imagine. And because of Jesus living the perfect life and dying a substitutionary death in their place, they can have forgiveness by faith in him. Around here, we like to quote uh, Yoda, a.k.a. Tim Keller. And we, his little summary of the gospel says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. But in Christ, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. That's a summary of the gospel. But this is, but listen, this part of the text, I kind of got. I, I, I kind of understood in the past. Like, it almost sounds attractional. Like, oh, okay, just bring them in, preach the gospel to them. This is, this is the peace. And then God will just blow it up. 3,000 people came. That's a mega church. 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Let's do that. But what I want you to see is, yes, we do gather. It is important. This Sunday morning, it is important. I do preach the gospel. We do declare it. We want to see people change and people baptized. We want to see all those things. But look what happens when the gospel is rightly proclaimed and rightly received. It changes people in their heart. It changes them in their core. It changes them, and then because it's changed their heart, it changes everything about them. It changes their entire life. Let's look. Let's just start at 42. And they, all this 3,000 people that just became followers of Jesus, and they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. And the fellowship. Whoa, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That means they devoted themselves to, it, the, the Greek word is koinonia, it's the community, it's, it's the believers, all the people who just became Christian, all of a sudden, they all say, we're committed, we're in this together, we're going to do this, we're going to live a different life, because what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we're now going to be different. Well, what does that look like? Keep reading. To the breaking of bread and to the prayers, okay? So they're, they're, they're committed to a few things, committed to each other, they're committed to doctrine, They want to learn theology. They want to learn to know God in a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper way. So they're going to be reading and studying, and and, and, and they're in fight clubs together. They're going to be studying the Word together. They're going to be doing these things. The breaking of bread, that's the sacraments, communion. They're going to be practicing sacraments often. They're going to be inviting people into their homes for dinner often. They're praying together often. And look what happens, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Look at this. I'm thankful to God. Listen, this past year... So we planted this church. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We planted this church with this idea of a gospel-centered missional community that looked like this, that people would practice 
uh, the gospel in their homes, that they would be devoted to doctrine in their homes, devoted to studying the word in their homes, and be inviting people over, inviting them into community, living this way, praying together, loving each other, living what we call life on life in community and on mission to one another. We, we said, what would it look like if we came to the Quad Cities and planted that type of church? We did that over, just over two years ago. And we saw God bless it. We saw God multiply it. We saw God bring in a lot of converts. What you're going to see in a minute is God is adding to their number day by day. Do you hear that? Every day. Not just on Sundays. Every day people are being added to the church. Why? Because they're coming over for dinner. They're sharing the gospel with them. They're believing in Jesus Christ. That stuff is taking place. Now, this year... So the first year of Sacred City, we saw huge growth. We saw huge, we baptized over 30 people, uh, new believers. We saw God just do some amazing things. But this last year has been a little different. I'm thankful to God. He's brought growth. He's brought numerical growth. But he's been deepening us. He's been taking us deeper into this koinonia, this type of community, this gospel-centered missional community. And what I've seen this year has been unbelievable with this specific result or implication of the gospel, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I got a report from all the missional community leaders of things that have been going on in missional community, and I've been blown away by how much money has been given in missional community. People's vehicles breaking down, they're paying for it. People need to go to a funeral, they can't pay for it, they're, they're financing it. People can't pay their mortgage, the missional community puts their money together and pours and, and pays it. People in debt, God meeting their needs, paying for their debt. People needing a wedding, God providing it, the mission of community, putting it on for them. All kinds of things like this that God's been doing. And what is it? It's a result of the gospel. Listen, the gospel tells me, I am broke, I am poor, I am impoverished. That I have absolutely nothing to offer God, but God being rich in kindness lavished his grace upon me and gave me Jesus Christ, gave me grace upon grace upon grace. That I deserve death and hell, but he gave me heaven. He gave me himself. He brought me into a community. God's given me so much. So listen, if, I'm, if I have nothing and God has given me everything, he's given you money to prove to yourself, to prove to him, to prove to your neighbors that your money is not your God. How do you prove that your money is not your God? By giving it away. See, if money's your God, you've got to hold on to it. It's your idol. You've got to hold on to it. You can't let it go. But the gospel says, God, you are broke. God has given you everything. You are spiritually bankrupt. God has given you everything. He's put it on loan for you to distribute to the saints, to distribute to those who are in need around you. So I I am happy that the gospel is doing this in our missional communities. That the gospel is making people generous. It's it's amazing. So, the gospel is planted, the gospel is preached, and when the gospel sinks down and the gospel is believed in a person's heart, it creates gospel people. It creates people who are seeking to live their entire life shaped around the gospel. God was so generous with me, how could I not be generous with others? God has forgiven me so much, how could I not forgive others? The world has no power like the gospel. 
the world. I'll be generous because it makes me feel good. It's the end of the year. I like a tax credit. But I'll only do it. I won't do, it, won't, it won't be sacrificial. It won't hurt. I'll throw a little change in the guy who's ringing the bell. I'll throw a little change. Feel good about it. But it won't hurt. It won't, it's not a sacrifice. Only the gospel, because God has been so generous to me. Can I freely be so generous to others? Only in the gospel do I have that type of power. Only in the gospel can I really forgive somebody who's really hurt me. Why? Because I, have, I am the worst, and the, wor- the worst sinner that I know is me. And God has freely forgiven me. How can I hold forgiveness to anybody else? How can I do that? I can't. So, at Sacred City, we want to make disciples. We want to make disciples who make disciples, who plant churches, who plant churches. That's what we want to do. But this is what we say around here. Because of this text and other texts in the scripture, the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. It's the only way to do it. You can't make disciples just in this gathering, in an attractional gathering. You can't make disciples just through podcasts. You can't make disciples just through books. You have to do it the way Jesus did. Jesus lived in community with his people. For three years, he walked with his disciples. Where did he teach them? He taught them in weddings. He taught them at parties. He taught them at sinners' houses. He taught them in front of prostitutes. He taught them when he had to rub shoulders with the religious. Jesus taught them in real life, life life-on-life discipleship, in community and on mission. That's how he shaped his disciples. That's how we have to make disciples. So I'm going to ask you this right now real quick. How is the gospel that you're believing, how is that impacting your life? Some real practical examples. Your life should be really open to others. Your home should be really open to others. When was the last time you had a neighbor over for dinner? And I I don't want to just talk about it. Like this year, I want to see converts this year. I'm praying and asking God to make new disciples this year. Right? I don't, yes, we want, we want church people to come over and, and experience a, rev, you know, a re, kind of be re, rejuvenated in the gospel. They've, they've been caught up in religion. We want that to happen. But we want people that are far from Jesus to come to know Jesus this year. And that's not going to happen just by Justin preaching the gospel here. It's going to happen by you opening the doors of your home and having them over for dinner and going and having drinks with them after work. And it's going to happen there. That's where it's going to happen. Is that happening? Are you centering your life around a missional community? Are you saying no and and maybe not getting as much overtime at work because you want to be with your missional community? You're making it a priority. These believers here made community a priority. They devoted themselves to doctrine. Are you devoted to doctrine? Are you reading a book? Are you reading the Bible? This right now is a great time of year to say, you know what, this year I'm going to read to the Bible in a year. Or, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible five minutes a day. I'm going to pick up some of the books at the bookstore and I'm going to start reading. The gospel makes us into learners. We should be striving to know this great and glorious God in deeper ways. Are you doing that? What we see here we see here that the gospel is the answer to two really deep needs that we all have as human beings. Number one, we long for God, but we don't know how to get to Him. We long for eternity. We long for something deep and satisfying, but we don't know how to get to Him so that we we do all kind of crazy things to try to put in His place money, security, family, sports, 
He put all these things in his place because we're sinners. And secondly, we desire, we desire to connect with human beings. Why is that? Because God, our creator, exists in himself in Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. He is a community in himself. And therefore, he created us, Imago Dei, in his image. We were created by community for community. But because of sin and our desire to build our lives on something other than him, we don't, com- we don't connect very well with people. We compete. We compare. Is that not true? We compete, we compare, even with our neighbors. And listen, Jesus is so brilliant when he says, you know what, the law, let me just whittle the law down to two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love someone you're in competition with. Because if he gets something, you want to get more. That's not loving. It's wanting to be better. And if we're in competition with one another, we want to be the most successful, or we want to be the wealthiest, or we want to be the most powerful, or we want to be the the most holy. You can't love your neighbor as yourself. See, the sinful desire to compete with family members, neighbors, friends, has made our society into a radically individualistic society. But when God saves us, He saves us into a family. He adopts us into His family. That's what we see right here in Acts. It's not like, gospel goes out, I believe it, now i got to go do whatever I want to do. Go back to my home and build my business and do what I want to do. He says, no, I believe the gospel. These are my brothers and sisters. Love them well. We're saved by a community for a community. And because the gospel has answered, the gospel is answering and has answered our two greatest desires that I've been brought into relationship with God by grace, totally through the work of Jesus. I haven't done anything to deserve it or anything to merit it in any way. I have God's acceptance. Unbelievable. I have His love. I have His approval. And I've been adopted by sheer grace into His family. See, this is how the gospel... We talk about the gospel all the time. Why? Because this is how the gospel, the main point of all the scriptures, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the point of all the scriptures that it does what the law cannot do. The law convicts me of my sins, shows me, it's a mirror, shows me my imperfections, but the gospel empowers us. The gospel changes us. How? How does the gospel empower us to live inside a new community in a different way? See, I don't need to compete with others. I already have God's approval. I already have the creator of the cosmos. I already have his approval. I don't need your approval. I don't need to save face and look good in front of others because my acceptance by God is not based upon my behavior or upon my reputation. So I'm free to openly confess my sins. I'm free to share my weaknesses. And I'm free to love others without any demand upon them for them to return my affection. Unbelievable. 
The gospel so satisfies me. The gospel so frees me from my fears, my demands that I need people to approve of me. I need people to tell me how good I am. I need people to say, Justin, you're a great pastor. The gospel satisfies that. It doesn't just say that's wrong like the law. The gospel satisfies it. I'm going to tell you the call for us the call for us as a church in the 21st century here in the Quad Cities. Listen, everything's changing in our culture. We've, we've lived in the age of Christendom. What does that mean? That means, I could take it all the way back to Rome. Basically, Rome was pagan. Christians took over. Christians literally took over. Not aggressively. They spread. They multiplied. That they were everywhere. Tertullian... Uh, about a hundred, about a hundred and thirty years after the death of Jesus, said, "We're everywhere. We're in your senate. We're in your halls. We're in your government. We're in your s- schools. The only place that we've left to Rome is your temples." So Christians have just multiplied everywhere. And what happened was that basically Christianity becomes the uh, moral religion, or becomes the, the the state religion, where everyone is now Christian, supposedly. That they don't have to believe. They're just born into a Christian nation. And our society and our America was built upon that. Like everyone, we just could assume everyone was Christians. They all had Christian morality and Christian ethics and they called themselves Christian. Well, that's gone. Our society is no longer like that. And we, as believers in the Bible, we will be ostracized. It's coming. Your faith better be ready for it. If you, if you, if you, believe what the Bible teaches about marriage, you will be called a bigot. You will be called a hater. Even comparative to a racist. That's coming now. That's here. We're in that right now. And I believe that all the attractional churches that are clapping their hands and saying, come, 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 they're going to be gone. Because people aren't coming, coming, coming anymore. We have to go to them. And we have to have a faith that can take root in a culture. The gospel has to be planted into the culture and let God bring the fruit. Now, God can do anything. Miracles can take place. He can send another revival and change all that. But it doesn't look... Without that, barring that happening, we are going to become a a minority and we're going to be pushed to the outside and we're going to be looked upon looked down upon and we're going to be slandered and we're going to be made fun of. That's going to happen to us. It's ar- it already is happening. So the call to us, because this is happening, listen, we can't just stay, we can't just put a big sign in the front yard and say, Christian church, and expect our neighbors to come to us anymore. What we have to do is do what the book of Acts did. We have to live in a distinct way inside of a culture. We have to live a new way. We have to be a counter-cultural community. Counter-cultural community. We have to show people a different way of living, a different way of being human, a different way of relating to God and relating to one another. That's what we have to do. That's our call as Christians in this day and age, to adopt this way of being the church that we see in Acts chapter 2, this Countercultural community. 
a community, listen, of authenticity in a world filled of hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Somebody who, who has to clean themselves up. Somebody who puts on a different face. Someone who's two-faced. Someone who comes to church and they act like everything's fine. Someone who do, who's not real. Someone who can't admit that there's sin in their life. That they can't admit that they're struggling to believe. Right? Hypocrite is somebody who, who's one guy on Friday night and another guy on Sunday morning. Our world is full of people like that. Right? Called salesmen. Right? Their life's awful, but as soon as they see you, hey! Right? We have to be different. The gospel makes us different. We can be open and honest and authentic. We are broken. We are bent. We are sinners, but we've received grace. We need to be a community that's saturated in grace and a culture who judges everyone based on their performance. We need to be a people who give people grace because God gives us grace. We need to be a people who walk in humility and a society that's completely built on pride and reputation. We need to be people that's be, we need to be willing to have our reputation tarnished. We need to be willing to look back. It's, that's hard, I know. That's really hard. But that's what we need to be able to do. The gospel frees us. I don't need the reputation. I have the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And listen, we need to love people well who are outside of our community that's even in a highly intolerant city. Listen, this is what's going to be said. Because we believe that the Bible says that God created a man and a woman, two completely different people, and and God put them together and said, this is a marriage, a positive and a negative. Right? Sorry, ladies, that you're negative there. I didn't mean that, but you know what I mean? Two different, two different things, Right? God put them together and says, this is what a marriage is. See, diversity. We believe in diversity. Marriage is about diversity. A man and a woman coming together. Because we believe that God created marriage for a man and a woman, and and people are going to say, okay, you're a bigot. You don't... You hate homosexuals. They're going to put that label upon us. And here's the thing, for some of us, that's true, and we need to repent. For some of us, we are bigots. Some of us, we, we, we do dismiss homosexuality, and that's a sin, and we need to repent of it. But some of us, it's just a label. So what we have to do is show our culture that the grace of the Almighty God, we need to have friends. We need to have people that get so confused by us. This guy's a bigot. He doesn't believe in homosexual marriage, but he he brings me a birthday present. He loves me. He invites me over for coffee. He knows I'm homosexual. Why is this guy loving me? He's a bigot. That's what the gospel does. It blows up people's paradigms. You're inviting them over for dinner. You're loving them well. Instead of protesting and We live in this highly intolerant culture. We've got to be gracious people who know how to love each other well. And not just each other, but love outsiders. I'm praying, that's what I'm praying for this future year. 
that our, we love our neighbors like we never have before in this coming year. This is church. This is the biblical concept of church. It's not a building. It's a gospel-centered people living in community and on mission for the glory of God. So, Sacred City, we, we came back. We planted these little, ch- these little churches. These little, we call them missional communities. They're groups of people between 10 and 30 that meet in each other's homes that practice this way of doing life this way of being the church, that they eat together every week, they pray together every week, they share their burdens and their needs with one another, they meet each other's needs financially, right? That's what we've been doing now for two years. By God's grace, we went from one missional community to six. We've got these missional communities meeting all across the city. And I'm praying that this year that we would start at least two or three more of those missional communities so more people can experience the gospel and more people can see into a community that's saturated by grace. Steve Timmis says that the gospel, that most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Like inviting somebody over for dinner. And, and, and for those of you who, yeah, 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 I get it, please do it. This year, do it. Invite your coworker over. Go have a drink with them. Share the gospel with them. Be friends. Love them well. Invest in their life. Don't just invite them to your thing. Invest in their life. Go to their thing. Be a missionary. That's what God's made us into. grown to six missional communities. We've baptized around 50 people, over 50 people. We've seen the gospel do work. But listen, again, I think I've said this. This isn't a utopian society. I want to share some of the wins that we've had. We've done some great things this year. God's used us in great ways. We've raised money for the homeless. We've supported kids in Africa. We're supporting church planting in Africa. We're supporting church planting in Collinsville, Illinois. We've given away thousands of dollars. Uh, we've meet, met a lot of needs throughout the city. We've adopted people. We've planted gardens for uh, uh, um, King's Harvest and uh, another one. I'm sorry, I'm trying to think. Of it. Refugees, that's the word I was looking for. We've planted uh, gardens for refugees. We've done a, a lot of gospel work. We've proclaimed the gospel. We've done a lot of gospel work, and it's been great. God's been really, really near to us. But listen, Acts 2 is the description of the church, but it's not the end. So what, what I'm going to say is like this. You shouldn't go, that's what the church is, so that's what we should look like. I'm going to go to a church like that. If, good luck with that. What you're going to find out is we're all still sinners. We all still sin. We all still make mistakes. There is no perfect utopian church like this. This church didn't stay this way. We're about to study. Next week we start our new series in 1 Corinthians. It's real catchy, right? It's called 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be preaching verse by verse through 1 Corinthians, and you're going to realize it was an absolutely jacked up church. Crazy stuff is going on. But the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. And that's what this church is. We're jacked up. We are sinners who sin. We're sinners who re- respond sinfully to being sinned against. That's what we do. So if you sin against me, I'm just going to let you know. 
Now, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. If I was Jesus, I would turn the other cheek. But since I'm not, you better be careful. Almost, that's all I'm saying. All right? That's all I'm saying. You might get a bloody nose. Might happen. So this past year hasn't been all roses, right? Hasn't been all rainbows. Hasn't been all days. It's not just been, oh, wow. You know, preachers like to get up here and do the end of the year review and just say, we baptized 400 people. There's 100 people here, Pastor. But we baptized 400 of them. What? Right? That hasn't happened. We've had people leave. We've had difficult times. We've had struggles. We've had sins that two people didn't want to forgive each other. We've, we've had that, right? This way of doing church is messy. It's real. It's authentic. But it's painful at times. We have this crazy thing in, in um, Galatians 2 where Peter, the guy who just preached this amazing, just nails gospel sermon that we just read in, in Acts 2. Listen, Peter, these people come in and he's eating with all these Gentiles. That means he's eating, I'm just going to put it in our vernacular. He's eating with homosexuals. He's eating with transvestites. He's eating with alcoholics. He's eating with all these different people. But then his church buddies walk in. And his church buddies walk in and he gets real nervous. I mean, I want to be in the world, but not of the world. Um, is this a good example that I'm eating with these people? So he says, all right, I'm going to go eat with my religious folk. I'm going to go eat with all my church buddies. He starts eating with his, all of his church buddies. And, and Paul says, you're a hypocrite. See, that's what being hypocritical is, acting one way in front of another. He won't associate with these people anymore. And, but this is so brilliant, what, what Paul does. And most, many aspects of our ministry is built upon this. He does not, Paul does not go, shame on you. You know the law, and you broke the law. This is Peter, the one the Catholic Church believes that w- the whole church is built upon, the foundation of Peter. This is Peter, who just preached the gospel sermon. Does, does Peter know the gospel? Yes, he just preached the gospel. He knows the gospel. But what Paul says to Peter is so offensive. If you grew up in church, this is offensive. We say this to you, and you get offended by it. But Paul says it to Peter, one of Jesus' right-hand men. Oh, you're being a hypocrite. Your life is not in line with the gospel. Look it up, Galatians 2. That's what Paul says to Peter. Paul, the new guy on the block, the rookie, the one who got knocked off his horse and believed in Jesus, right? Peter's been with Jesus for a lot longer. Paul says to Peter, your life, your racism, your bigotry, you're looking down on people and thinking these people are real sinners and these people are good people. That is not in line with the gospel. That's how Paul directs him. You're not believing the, the gospel, Peter. See, you get mad and you sin. People see that when you're in community. And we have two options. We can love each other and forgive each other, or we can sin. We can close ourselves off. We can do what Peter did and say, oh, those people, they're, they're sinners or they're, they're messed up, and I'm going to go be holy by myself. If you do that, hear the words of Paul. You're not living in line with the gospel.
we're two and basically two and a half years into this thing. This is our two-year anniversary for our public gathering. And I believe this more today than when we first planted Sacred City. I believe the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission, completely centered around the gospel. That it's not sexy, it's not flashy, it's not fast. You don't blow up overnight like you can with an attractional model. Growth comes a lot slower, but it's a beautiful mess. It's real, it's deep, it's true. But I've watched over and over how the gospel infiltrates a person's heart through missional community, and their walls come crashing down. I've seen marriages deepen. I've seen women soften. I've seen men step up and lead their family. I've seen God heal past hurts, uncover hidden sins, and breathe into and awaken dead sinners. We've seen God continue to add to our numbers daily. We're currently, we've got over, uh, over 100, I don't even know how many, but we've got over 100 living in, mission, in missional communities within our six missional communities. And listen, if you're not an MC, we welcome you. We want you here. We want to serve you to the best of our abilities on Sundays. But we want you to know that this gathering is not what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Sunday mornings will not form you into a fully functioning disciple of Jesus. You need community and you need mission and they need you. You have gifts that need to be shared with the body and that's where we use them. There are two ways to join a missional community. You can talk to someone. Over 80% of the people in this room are in a missional community. Talk to someone. If a friend brought you here, go to their missional community. Sign up on the city. Talk to somebody at the back. There's a big board out there now that shows you where missional communities are. Check them out online. Listen, where are we going in this new year? It's so funny because there's, I don't think our vision's ever going to change. <laughs> this isn't like the, you know, we don't have some catchy slogan for this year. We're going to make disciples and make disciples and plant churches and preach the gospel and repent and put our faith in Jesus. That's all we're going to do all year long, all year long, all year long. But that's my prayer that your neighbor comes to faith, that your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your kids, that they come here, they hear the gospel, and God just absolutely radically wrecks their life for normal. That's my prayer for this new year. We want you to join us on mission. We want to fill this city with gospel-centered, missional Christians. We say it a lot around here. It's my prayer that someday in the future, every single person in the Quad Cities will be rubbing shoulders with someone that's in a gospel-centered missional community. I didn't say that everybody would be coming on a Sunday morning, but they would know. They could, they could go, I don't really know about Jesus, but I'm looking into this community and something's different here. They love people who are outside of them. They love them very well. They're not arrogant. They're not proud. There's something different about these people. So, God's been good to us. We've baptized over 15 people this year. We've grown from five to six missional communities, but it really hasn't been a growth. I mean, we had last year, Christmas Eve gathering was about 130. This year, it's 185. Like, we've, we've grown, but this year really hasn't been about growth. It's been about depth. God's t- taken some people that are on the fence, and he's, he's brought them in. He's filled them with his spirit. He's pushing them towards leadership. We've got over 20 in, in, in Porterbrook. God's really been deepening us, I, I, I feel, this year, taking us further into the gospel, further into missional community, and I'm really encouraged by it. We've got three men in eldership development, hopefully by the summer. 
We'll be able to appoint some men as elders with, with me here at Sacred City. We've got Sam being developed as a pastor, a possible church planner. We're supporting churches in Collinsville. We're sponsoring over 30 kids on a monthly basis in Kenya. We're developing church planners there in Kenya. This is stupid, the stuff God's letting us do. It's just stupid. It's nothing but his grace. Nothing but his grace. When people ask me how the church is going, first off, I get really annoyed by that. Because most people go, they want me to tell them how big we are. People stop me in Walmart. People stop me and say, hey, so what you running? Come on. And I, I don't want to be rude, but it's like I just don't even want to answer that. But So I've got this. This is what I say. How's it going? Better than we deserve. That's the gospel. How's it going? Better than we deserve. God is so gracious to us. It's not a result of my leadership or my gifting. This has been God's work. So I'm inviting you in. If you're, not, if you're new, join us on mission. Believe this gospel. Put your faith in this Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're on the fence. If your life is not in line with the gospel, repent. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your joy, your happiness, your holiness, it all depends on that. It's all gospel. Many of us know a lot about the law. The law is only a mirror. The gospel is what frees us. The gospel is what changes us. The gospel is what cleans us. Let me pray. Father, we want to praise you for the work you're doing here in the Quad Cities. We are, uh, through your spirit, you're just, we're way too big for our britches here. You're just doing way more than we could possibly do on our own. The work that you're doing um, is something to rejoice in. It's something to not look at us and go, well, we're so much better than everybody else. We're the church that really gets it. Um, it's to look at you and say, thank you that your gospel does this. Um, it's not the leadership of a man or the vision of a man. It's the gospel. That you change people's hearts. And we ask that you would keep us faithful this year, that you would protect us, watch us, uh, watch over us, help us love and lead our families uh, in a deeper way this year than we did last year. Help us cherish your word and crave your word and desire your word like David in the Psalms, that we meditate on your word in the watches of the night, that our soul longs for you. Help our heart cry out in that way this year. Father, take us deeper, deeper and further in, all because of your grace. And for those who are outside of our community, may we display the gospel for them in a way that's attractive, in a way that's humble, in a way that's bold. And God, would you give them grace and allow them to come in, allow them to believe, allow them to get a new heart. And as we come to this morning to the table, we take the bread and we drink the wine. May you communicate afresh your gospel to us. May you not just communicate it to us, but just apply it to our heart or Stir our affections, stir our longing for you. Uh, may you give us grace in this meal this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.